Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Heather Artis. What's wrong with you? You want to be billed top? You want top billing? No. Because you know what comes with that? Now you have to run the show. Nope. What's next then? Because I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. I'm waiting for you to continue on with the intro. Thanks for joining us for minute 43 of Dead Man's Chest. It's actually unbelievable that you don't know what comes next. Not only have you heard this now 43 times this season, but a whopping 143 times last season. I just thought prepared. Not prepared? Not prepared. You should know that by heart. I mean, like I said, you've heard me say it a million times. Well, not literally a million. I'm just not prepared. I don't know what to say. It's like uh, asking me a question out of the blue. I'm not prepared. Or asking you a question in the blue. No matter what, you're never prepared. That's what I have to say as I dig myself a hole over here. In the previous minute... Actually, that's fruit fight, Mr. Belushi. Apparently, a couple of Pelagostos women decided they don't much care for Johnny's outlandish and history-making pirate Captain Jack Sparrow. Fitting of that normal 18th century custom of pelting poor performances with produce, they give this Keith Richards-inspired swashbuckler two smash papayas. Not a good thing, I guess. No. Like two thumbs down. Meanwhile, the rest of the cast are battling their own disgruntled critics, slicing at their performances of Gibbs, Will, Cotton, and Marty. How dare you? And then, there's that whole cartoonish gorge-flipping, pirate-falling bit that I'll just pretend didn't happen. <laughs> Minute 43 begins with Jack continuing to fall down the gorge. The ends of the bamboo pole make contact with the sides of the walls, helping to slow his descent. The pole lodges in place and causes Jack to completely unwind, leaving him dangling with the rope tied to his foot. The two Pelagostos women comment at the situation and simply walk away. The minute ends with Jack, the monkey gnawing on Rigetti's wooden eye. Give it back! Don't bite it! During the commotion, Pintel yells to Rigetti to haul loose the mooring lines. As Pintel and Rigetti chatter, the Motley crew runs up. Gibbs says, excellent, our work, dot, dot, dot. Would it be Rigetti and the monkey chattering? No. I guess they're all three chattering to each yeah. other. But specifically at that point, Rigetti is looking over the side of the ship, tattletailing on the monkey to <laughs> Pintel, and that's when they run up. You know, when um, Jack is unraveling himself... I was thinking all he needs is that scream. You the know, Wilhelm the, scream? Oh, yeah. Ah! 
as he's falling. I'm surprised they didn't have one there, actually. <laughs> There's one in the movie somewhere. I just don't remember. Did where we already encounter? We haven't encountered it yet, have no. we? Yeah. There was a time for a Wilhelm scream, that's it. But oftentimes with the Wilhelm scream, they do it kind of in the background with things, too. Yeah. Sometimes, not always, but a character in the background, not our main character. It's like, wow, that didn't sound like Jack. It sounded like Wilhelm. No. I feel the need to point out that the final production draft of the script didn't call for this entire Jack Sparrow fruit fight fall down the chasm scene. Really? No, it didn't. It was all ad lib. Wasn't just like spot on. They're like, hey, I got a brilliant idea. Instead of this, how about we just do this off the cuff here? Well, that's going to take a lot of stuff. No, no, off the cuff. We'll just we'll wing it. We'll see what happens. Roll film now. No, we'll just we'll just let Johnny Depp plunge to his death, yeah. unraveling from. Yeah, should we do some safety stuff here? No. No, 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 no. Let's just go. Let's go. Come on, time is money, folks. Fruit falling all around his head. Yeah. No, actually, it was a pretty light on the details in the script. Or maybe light is not the right word. I should say it was pretty straightforward. From the script, it says, in the jungle. I was waiting for your cue, the mighty jungle, but you didn't jump in. <laughs> that shows you you're never on the ball. Jack comes upon the chasm, uses the spit on his back to pull Vault across. He runs. That's the whole scene. That's it, huh? That is it. In the jungle, the it's mighty jungle. It's too late jungle. now. No, you've missed your comedic the moment. The sleeps tonight. Hey, your comic timing is way <laughs> off, woman. <laughs> now you made me say woman on the airwave. Now look at what happened. Now I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail. Send all your hate mail to Heather. But that's it. No fruit fight with the cannibal women. Speaking of appropriate, is that actually appropriate to label these ladies as cannibal? Should I always just call them cannibal I women? I thought you were asking if it was appropriate to na- label them cannibal women. Well, I'm saying if I'm talking about the women, should I have this adjective in there, cannibal women? Should the respectful thing be to just call them women? That's what I'm wondering. Or are all things off the table when you're a cannibal? All things are off the table. Yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe no need to follow common decency because they're cannibals. Yeah. Anyways, there's no fight, no crazy accidental pole vaulting with a triple Lindy sticks the landing kind of thing. (laughs) Been watching the Olympics. (laughs) That and there's an old... What is that? Old school? I think that's what it was called. With uh, Rodney Dangerfield. I think that was the triple Lindy from that that I pulled. Pulled out of my brain. You know who's big on 80s movies and knowledge? That would be Doug out there. Shout out to Doug. He'll be able to correct me at some point when he hears this. But there's no falling through the rope bridges either. All of it is gone. I think that's Gore's contribution here. Enhancing the script, adding elements, all that good stuff. That stuff that you said was ad-libbed. They're just doing their stuff. I know the script says I'm supposed to just run, but I thought I might wind myself up with rope, drop down this chasm, and see what happens. Just throw caution to the wind. That was my thoughts. And then Gore's like, yeah, Johnny, that sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. Fall through how many bridges? Yeah. Fall through all the rope bridges that they were creating. Uh I mean, because we know he likes to tailor certain elements for the audience, like the toe necklace. Yes. But I think this is like a prime example of that. Basically, the script has Jack go from crossing the chasm and running. And that's it. None of this other extraneous stuff. So I think we all know that I had a bit of a problem with the slapstick approaching flip the chasm routine thing okay, going on here. yes. Just a bit. Yeah, that's it. And just a little bit. The fruit I can live with. Classic Hollywood element that tips the scale into a fall. Cars. We see that all the time. Cliffs. 
If you have a cliff in a movie, you're bound to have a car teetering on it and it's going to go away. There's no cars in this movie. Uh, yeah, because there's no cars in the 18th century. But I guarantee if there were cars, this would have been the teeter moment. Teeter moment. <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. I don't know. It's almost like it's begging for a euphemism there, but I just don't have one at the teeter of my tongue right now. I'm even okay with the unwinding part here. It was that one flipping piece, okay? And yeah, literally, the flipping stunt. Not like it's a flipping, like insert flipping instead of something else here. It's the literal flipping stunt that I think I, well, I think if it was left off in the previous minute, it would have enhanced the action sequence here in the movie. They wouldn't have broken it up for me. But we talked about that yesterday. But we do get another classic Hollywood cliche element here. When in doubt, and you need your hero to survive a lengthy fall, time to break out some awnings to fall through and help break your fall. <laughs> or bridges. <laughs> yeah. In this case, there's a twist on that cliche. It's the, well, it's like the pies become the fruit for the fruit yes. pie scene. Here we have the awnings becoming rope bridges. Now, I don't want to get all technical, but that's a hell of a drop into the chasm, just to walk away from after you fall. Even with the rope bridges breaking his fall, do you think he would have stood up after that? Yeah, That's a big drop. Because <laughs> you're our resident science expert. Yes, I believe he would. Because he's falling on a nice, cushy, grassy meadow. Well, what, that three, four-inch grass? That stuff's really cushiony when you fall. It's like... <laughs> I remember I'll just jump right off the roof into our lawn, and it's like a pillow. I go, oh, man, that is so soft. I bet you I could jump off a four-story building and not just a two-story like I normally do. Uh, it's just like jumping into water. It's like cotton. That's how soft it is. Not that I want to attack your expertise as a resident pirate physicist yeah. here. Or physic well, physicist. Yeah, that'll work. all the bridges kind of slowed him down quite a bit. They did, but did you see at the end, he was still falling at a nice, brisk pace. Yeah, but he fell in the grassy meadow. <laughs> That's not enough grass there. Are you sure? Yeah. It's years I mean, and I... years worth of unmowed grass. <laughs> mowed grass. I don't care how much unmowed grass that was. I don't think that's enough. Now, I don't want to get all technical, like Heather's trying to do with her grass cushions. But that really is a hell of a drop to walk away from, even with the rope bridges breaking the fall. So I had to look into this. Is this possible? And we're going to do a live Facebook thing. I'm going to throw Heather off the roof. And we're going to have her. No. It's really hard to get like into the ins and outs on this since we don't really have all the details. There's a lot of undefined variables here. But I discovered that Mythbusters tried something similar. Oh, really? Special number nine. Season four. Mega movie myths number two. It says it right in the title. Mega movie myths. Like I said, Hollywood cliche, you know they're tackling it. The Mythbusters team tested the plausibility of surviving a fall through several awnings on the side of a building. As depicted in the escape from Club Obi-Wan in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. It's the podcast about Indiana Jones. Okay, enough of that. You're, you're over there, I'm even saying trying to get you bearings. Yeah, but, but you just mixed two movies together. What? Ah! I'll send you to the deep. Club Obi-Wan and Indiana Jones. Really? You're going to embarrass yourself on the air right now by no. saying that I mix two movies together. No. Do we even have to get into this discussion? No. There's Club Obi-Wan is in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Seriously? Yes. Oh, my God. 
Yar, hang them from the yard arm. Heather just made every Indiana Jones, George Lucas fan, Steven Spielberg guy cringe out there. Yeah, there's also this thing that uh, Indiana Jones is Han Solo's fever dream from the Carbonite, when he's frozen in Carbonite. Well, I've heard that on the one of the podcasts. Okay, you've heard that. So Club Obi-Wan is part of that evidence that goes into that. Okay, why are we in this topic? It's really Just, in the movie, though. It's in the movie. Club okay. Obi-Wan. Yes, that is the name. I, it's not like I'm making stuff up here. Why would I do that? I do that all the time, I guess. Yeah. Actually. But we're talking Mythbusters. We're not trying to explain Indiana Jones to you, for God's sakes. As you're racking your brain, I can still see you sitting there thinking, like, this can't be possible. This guy's giving me a line of S over here. <laughs> no. Okay, Mythbusters. According to the show recap, the test dummy was shown to survive, albeit the strain gauges indicate that serious injury was likely to occur. No kidding. The myth was rated as plausible. And then team member Tori then recreated the stunt as it was set up for the movie using pre-cut awnings and safety wires. He just wasn't going to plumb it off. He's like, plausible's not good enough. I might as well put some precautions in there. Plus he even cut the awnings because you didn't want to like bounce off the awning. Like a really, trampoline. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for your sound effects, by the way. You're welcome. So plausible. Okay. According to Mythbusters, Jack may have survived. Maybe. Because of the cushy not grass. not walked away he did. No. Not. Well, we didn't really see him walk away yet. Oh, yeah. So what are you, what are you doing? I don't are you know. spoiling? Unless he gets speared by the bamboo, then maybe he won't walk away. Oh, wait. No worries. Okay. It missed him. Hollywood strikes again. <laughs> I was actually surprised that all the fruit and the bamboo missed him. Not even a little crumb of the fruit hit him. Crumb of fruit? Since when is that in for fruit? <laughs> for any type oh, of fruit? come food? on. No. Who uses crumb for fruit? Would you like uh, some apple? Yeah, I'll take a crumb of apple, please. No. You don't say that. Slice of apple, maybe? No. If it was broken apart and just a little piece fell on you, what a would you call piece it? Piece of apple? I wouldn't call it a crumb. Get the hell out of here. Are you kidding me? We're going to actually go into crumb talk on Pirates of the Caribbean? I mean, that's clearly a topic for (laughs) what I vowed to get rid of, but now I have to bring back because it's comedy gold at the table at the Donner Party, (laughs) our food (laughs) podcast. Yeah, get get out of here. I mean, I saw some behind the scenes with the fall, more so on the bamboo pole narrowly missing Jack's head, and I probably should have noted it now because I don't really recall the whole thing, but... Like, did Cruz slam the bamboo pole down, or if it was shot out of this contraption for, like, this more robust effect? Either way, whether it was shot out or it was there, it had, like, these handles on it so they could, like, stick it into the ground or they could aim it appropriately from Jack's head. Oh, okay. And it shot down. And I completely forgot to mention that for an instant, when the fruit is pushed off the bamboo pole, like a shish kebab effect, that the fruit looks like a stack of stones. Which was pretty cool. Oh, a yeah. Zen rock stacking. What are you laughing at? A Zen rock stacking. Zen rock stacking. That's what I said. Maybe a bit of a calm thing needed here when you're on a cannibal island. Doesn't yes. hurt to stack some rocks. No. Not that we endorse rock stacking on Caribbean or Hawaiian islands. I no, know I that. heard you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you're not. Gets everybody in an uproar. That's not Even right. some people call it uh, like natural graffiti now or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, we will not get into the taboo rock stacking and how it maybe upsets the gods or sacrilegious to uh, gods out in Hawaii and the Caribbean. Aztec gods. Not that these cursed Aztec gods have been anything other than 
nice to other people. Exactly. See season one, Curse of the Black Pearl. Does it look like the bamboo went through a different hole in the bridge than the one Jack went through? When it's When it starts plummeting down after it's lost its fruit? Yeah, when it loses its fruit, yeah. It's not, because the only way for that fruit to come off is that it has to go through another plank. Right. Although maybe, yeah, I don't know how much rope is underneath that. So would, did it break the board? It would have to have broke the board and there has to be no other rope under the board. Otherwise, then that thing would be all tangled up there still. Yeah, because the rope was still attached to Jack and to the bamboo. Exactly. So if it went through a different hole, he would have actually been strung from that bridge. Or the bamboo would have been strung through the bridge. And he would be dangling. He wouldn't be on the ground. Well, or the bamboo would be dangling. Can't you see that maybe that one can be higher than the other here? He's heavier. Bamboo would have went back up to the bridge. Yeah? Yeah. That's So he would be the dangler. No, he'd be on the ground. The bamboo would be the dangler. Yeah, but there were three bridges up. He probably wouldn't have been on the ground quite yet. Uh, I don't... I don't know what bridge that was. I don't there were remember. Three, it was a... You're going to count the bridges I did now. count them. I counted them three times well, to make sure. If It only works if the rope didn't get caught on another rope that could snap it. If it was on wood, maybe the weight pulled it through. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know now. It would almost have to... Maybe. If it got caught. Okay, now we're getting into something here. Because <laughs> this is way more than we really want to get into. Because if he's falling and he's heavier, then the bamboo pole, if it's through another hole, is going to then then be shot back up unless there's a lot of slack left in the rope. And if there's not and he's all the way on the ground, then the force of the bamboo pole hitting that uh, those planks would have caused the board to snap and then the bamboo would have fallen again. Okay. So there you go. Got it. Let's just leave it at that. That makes good radio. What's with the cannibal women, though, just turning and walking away? I assumed that they, oh, our chief is gone. We need a new chief. Goodbye. Have a good day. Yeah, it's like they're pretty indifferent. It's like more stone-faced cannibal action here. Yeah. Oh, well, another crazy white guy plummets from his chasm. Or not his. (laughs) That's a whole different topic. Plummets from a chasm. And then he unwinds as he gets stuck. I mean, they're pretty laid back. I see them as the more level-headed women in the tribe. Yeah. They don't play the angry native cliche. No, they're just like, oh, okay. It's a step up for the portrayal of cannibal women everywhere, I think. Changing stereotypes. On with the day. Exactly. Meanwhile, we may see the exact opposite with the men. Cannibal men always feeding stereotypes. Running into the jungle all angry-like without a real plan. It's the differences between men and women there. It's always the difference between men and women. Uh, it's not always. Like 10% of the time. <laughs> Men really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. 10% of the time? I'm going to ignore that because I'm almost like excited to see the Black Pearl sitting there. Get me off this island. Get me off this island. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the crew here. I'm saying I'd like to move along. And that's what happens. Hey, hey did you ever figure out what the actual minute was that we started on this island? I didn't look because we were saving that to the end when we have like a big party. Oh, okay. That's what I was just saving it to the very last minute that we're on the island. Then we can break it oh, down. Oh, okay. Even though you told everybody you'd bring it to you today. No, I don't think I said today. Oh, okay. I don't think I said today. The really big question is, 
will rum be involved in this party? That's a good question. It may have to be involved in this party. We'll be so excited to get off this island and talk about something else. We're like, oh, there's other characters in the movie? I completely forgot about this. Miss Swan, you say? But how dare you try to get me in trouble with the listeners, too? I mean, you throw that in there. Yeah, we're going to save it to the party day. But now that the Black Pearl looks like it's further out in the water than we saw it earlier, right? During low tide. Yeah. Supposedly high tide now. But I'm going to say I don't believe Pintel and Rigetti. Like, Pintel to be precise because he's the one who's on the ground somehow pulling this Herculean-style ship (laughs) with his strength into the water. He does say to haul loose the mooring line, but I think we're just supposed to really believe that this is all about the tides here. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't see... I, I, I really went, kept going back on this part, too. You don't really see where the ship would have been on shore. Yeah. Like, he actually drug it somewhere. Well, that'd be impossible. Well, I'm just saying that... Like, where they dragged it? Yeah, so we, to assume, we are to assume that the tides came in and helped pull the ship out because you don't actually see, you know, drag marks or yeah. where the ship was. Exactly. So. And the best part of this minute, Rigetti is so concerned about the state of his wooden eye that he still continues to complain to Pintel, even though he clearly sees Gibbs and the rest of the crew running to them. That's what I thought. Okay. That's the take-home message for me. It's like, holy Shiite, Batman. There's the Black Pearl crew. No, he ignores that and is tattling on the monkey. The little hairy thief has his eye again. Yeah. He's biting it. He's a monkey tattler. <laughs> you don't want people. We already know he has an issue with splinters that we learned in yeah. the first movie. Well, you so you got a monkey gnawing on your eye. That's going to create splinters. And possibly something else. You got some. You're actually putting this back in your eye socket. Oh, trust me. This is the cleanest thing that this guy's <laughs> going to see in his eye here. Trust me. That's like sterilized compared to the stuff this guy runs into. Trust me. But that's the subtler like comedy I like to see in this movie. Because in a serious action movie or drama... (laughs) Okay. An action movie or drama that just happens to have a pirate with a wooden eye rolling (laughs) on the deck and an immortal monkey running off with it. Which, if you have pets, know this is exactly what would freaking happen (laughs) out there. Trust me, that happened. But anyways, in an action or drama film, Rigetti might be telling on the monkey... But would stop short, like in mid-sentence when the crew runs up. But it works in this particular instance, because he doesn't do that. It's a callback to Curse of the Black Pearl, too, with the runaway eye. Yeah. So I think that all works. Oh, I do, too. Also, something else interesting to point out is, did you get the feeling Pintel saw the Motley crew coming and that that's why he's yelling about the mooring lines? Oh, no. Okay, I didn't either. I always thought that they just ran up on them. It was like a surprise while he was dealing with the idiot Rigetti. Yeah. And according to the script, though, the crew burst from the jungle. Ahead of them, the Black Pearl. The tide is in. The Black Pearl rides in shallow water. Pintel sees the crew coming, hollers to Rigetti. No, I thought... No, That's I the script, I didn't though. see that. That's the script, yeah, though. no. I didn't, I didn't see either. that. I got more of it was a surprise when they came running up to him. That's Because Pintel thought. and Rigetti were just trying to get the... T- steal the ship. Exactly. Not that they seen the crew. So they were trying to like hustle up and lose the crew is the idea behind the script. But the movie gave me the feeling, just like you were saying, that they were just bumbling around trying to get out of there and were surprised when they showed up. Yeah. Not that they look all that surprised, though. They don't look surprised. No, but 
I still don't, even though, even that, I still don't get the feeling that they were. But that's what I'm saying. Maybe in the movie, this is why there's not a bigger reaction from either of them. In the, Because the script told them that, hey, you looked over, you saw them coming. Yeah. And you're trying to get out of there. So maybe that there's like an editing room floor kind of deal here where they chopped out that I spy with my little eye, the Motley crew running for their lives kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You got your I'm little phrases back. I'm a poet laureate all of a sudden. Yeah, if that was the old me, it'd be like, I spy with my left eye and I screw yeah. up the whole idiom. But no, I got it this How'd time. How'd you get your phrases back? It's like a superhero. Did like, you get hit on the head again or something? <laughs> is this like a Christmas vacation reference? Her eyes aren't crossed anymore. <laughs> you know, she gets kicked or whatever it was. Kicked in the head by a horse, and they go crossed and falls off, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. But that's what I'm wondering, if there was something cut out that we didn't see. Yeah, maybe. Because they're not that surprised to see them. And Rigetti, like I just said, doesn't even bat an eye. No. Pun intended. <laughs> when he one-eyes them coming from the distance. He's still concerned about tattling on the monkey. Right. But it's nice to see Cotton's parrot, too, found his way back to the ship. Yes. I was all excited to see that. I rewound it. I'm like, oh, Cotton's parrot. What about the dog? Where's the dog? Weren't we talking about Cotton's parrot? Was it on the ship? Yeah, but... Dog's not on the ship. We were asking questions. Parrots can fly. Hey, you need to pay attention to this movie because dog will be coming up. Well, he's not here yet. Oh, he will be. Because my question before you hornswoggled it with your dog action... Yes. Did the parrot fly back after seeing Cotton running to the ship, or was the parrot hanging out on the ship already because Pentel and Rigetti were stealing it? That's a good question. And I'm trying to picture as to how I seen him. Was he just perched there, or was he kind of flying in? And I don't recall. I think he was there, but he kind of flutters about when Rigetti runs to the side of the ship and kind of makes some movement there. So he startled him. Yeah, that's how I kind of But he was already on the ship. I... Sitting think on. So. I'm going to say he. I don't know though. He got on the ship when Patel and Rigetti were trying to steal it. So. Because he just didn't so want to be eaten. Just so, yeah, we can clarify the parrot was basically looking for any way off the island, whether Cotton was there or not. Right. So, this is the thing for the parrot then. Does the parrot have some loyalty or is it loyalty first or surviving first? And I think we're going with surviving, surviving first. Surviving first. Boy, that parrot. You know what's interesting then? If that's the case, then this just backs up what we talked about previously when they were all in the bone cages with the Motley crew. That all these pirates are backstabby, every man for himself attitude. Even the parrot is every parrot for itself. Well, do you want to be eaten by some no, cannibals? No, but, but what I'm saying is, is that sticks in line with it. The yes. parrot is much a part of the crew as Cotton is and right. anyone else. And so they're all kind of... Every man for himself kind of deal here. Yes. And it's interesting. I guess that's our big uh, symbolic, whatever we'd want to call that, uh, like epiphany for this minute. The parrot epiphany is that even the parrot is, is a much part of the crew and is a pirate himself. Notice I say himself like I was a himself. pirate. The parrot is a pirate. Parrot the epiphany. Parrot is a pirate. Yeah. Not just a parrot, but he actually is a pirate. That's what's interesting. Hey. I don't know if I can top that. Parrot Epiphany. That might be the, even the name of the episode. Either well, that or monkey. Whatever I had for that. I had something else. Okay. When Rigetti and the monkey are fighting, 
and Rigetti tells on the monkey to Pintel. I know last season you mentioned a relationship that you don't see in the movie, but it's kind of something that Pintel and Rigetti had come up with, or they're, you know, made for themselves. The actors made to, oh, as a relationship. Yeah. yeah, the backstory. Thank you. And it was like Pintel's the uncle of Rigetti or something like that. So Pintel's sister is Rigetti's mom. Okay, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So it's I find it kind of interesting that Rigetti, Pintel and Rigetti are actually taking on the adult-child relationship here. Where, yeah, they have done that though, yeah. Where Pintel is telling Rigetti, I mean, I'm sorry, Rigetti's telling Pintel, he's got me eye. He won't give it back to me. Well, how'd you get it last time? Yeah, because you know, they always like, he always treats him kind of like the kid. Yeah. And maybe that's why, because it is his sister's kid. Yeah. And so he's kind of probably been in that situation where he's raised him to a point. Well, I think it was after the father died, he kind of took over that. That's when that. they kind of joined the pirate crew and yeah. stuff. So that's what I'm saying. And is so, that yeah. There was that relationship there, and he kind of took him under his wing, and they still have that type of relationship. Yeah. Which how these two survived this far is beyond me, but they do. If Pintel is your role model, you know, hey, it's maybe not in the cards for you to survive very long, but they did. So I just found it kind of interesting they get that you they brought you to that. They kind of showed you more of that relationship. Yeah, they do get really into that. Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't hit you over the head with it. No. But it is there subtly that there is this relationship where one is kind of the. More the childlike and one is kind of more the parent. Yeah. Even though they're both, you know, on the buffoon side, if you will. Well, they are related. That's true. So that's all I got. And we would have been ending on parent epiphany, which is just classic. But you had to bring in, like, parent-child relationships. Some kind of child psychology thing to end on. And this is a pirate show, by the way. How dare you? How dare you hornswoggle the end? At least it wasn't apocalypse. That's true. So there you go. You should all be happy about that. No apocalypse. It's always And we're almost off the island. It's like I'm giddy regetti all of a sudden. (laughs) So we'll be back on Friday with minute 44 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, I say we keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. That's all I got. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. 
Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.